Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. By the way, I hope those of you who celebrated last week had a marvelous, delicious, relaxing, refreshing, and gratitude-filled Thanksgiving holiday. And here we're back. So I have the buzz on the street. I have a quote from a gentleman named Nick Panay, P-A-N-A-Y-I, Head of Digital Marketing and Global Brand at CSC. Listen up, everyone. Account-based marketing is thinking of the account as a market of one. Let's just let that sink in for a second. Yes, we're going to be talking today about ABM. That's account-based marketing. So I have another quote from a blog at uptheireeverywhere.com, and it says, with digital selling, your sales team leverages their social presence to drive brand awareness, and they use education to accelerate an ABM strategy and convert top prospects into customers. However, if you're not doing it yet, if your sales team isn't using digital selling as part of their account-based marketing strategy, don't worry, it's not too late to start. So there's several challenges on the table. How do you get, oh, this is a perpetual perennial question. How do you get marketing and sales to talk to each other, to collaborate, to combine their forces, to not poke at each other or step on each other's toes? Well, it's really important that your marketing and sales teams collaborate in order to use digital selling, which we used to call social selling, in your ABM strategy. I have three experts here today. They're smart, they're savvy, they're committed to this topic, and they're going to help us figure it all out. Let me just tell you who they are, and then I'll ask each guest to introduce herself. We have three ladies on the panel today. In a moment, you'll be hearing from Lisa Dennis, Knowledgeance Associates. I'll spell the name of her company, Knowledge, K-N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E, and add N-C-E at the end, Knowledgeance Associates. We have Nicole O'Brien, one of the founders of the Sales Enablement Society. She'll tell us all about her role there. And we're welcoming Paroma Sen, Global Marketing Director for Customer Experience Solutions at SAP. Panelists, welcome. Very happy to talk to you today. Lisa Dennis, why don't you spend about two minutes giving us a little bit about your background and what ABM means to you? Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, I am focused on both sales and marketing uh, in technology. I've been um, out there for about 25 years, uh, really thinking about how do sales and marketing work together. That's been a lifelong journey. Um, core areas are really focusing on buyer-focused, value proposition and messaging and being able to align that both in the marketing and the sales side and account-based marketing. I've been doing account-based marketing um, strategy and consulting work for uh, the last seven years. Um, So really looking at how messaging drives and account-based focus really is a sweet spot for me. Thank you, Lisa. How, How did you get into this field? Just a little background, background. How did you start? If you've been doing ABM strategy for seven years and here we are thinking, it's new, it's fresh, it's relevant, it's a relevance and it's just coming to our, to our knowledge here. How did you start it so long ago? Where did you come from? I actually um, work with an organization called ITSMA. They started doing ABM and they coined the phrase account-based marketing back in like 2003, 2004. Wow. And so it's really interesting that it's hot, but actually it's been used particularly on a one-to-one focus for a long time. And I actually got introduced to them because of the messaging work that I had been doing for the last 15 years. Uh, So it was really a natural fit because how we talk to accounts really makes a difference, whether we're talking product or we're talking Mm -hmm. about their challenges and issues and, and goals. And, and so that's how I met up with them and then started doing that work. I actually do uh, ABM certification. I run ABM certification in North America for them. So I'm deep into ABM. And you must be very gratified that, as you said, it's now a hot topic. Everybody's talking about it. It took a long (laughs) enough time, Lisa. Lisa Dennis, we're very happy to have you here. Thank you for the intro. Let's move around the table. One seat to Nicole O'Brien. Nicole, please introduce yourself. 
Hello, I'm Nicole O'Brien. Um, currently, I am president of the Sales Enablement Society, but I also work my day job as um, a marketing strategist for a professional services firm, Tyco Zavari. And um, I've been working in ABM. I've probably been around for probably 20, 25 years, about the same as Lisa. And uh, ABM's been around for a long time. It just has been sort of analog ABM. Um, ABM has really, I think, come to the forefront because it's mm-hmm. been um, transformed by technology. So as uh, large organizations, global companies have embraced social selling, as it was first called, and then now sort of, um, you know, using digital marketing, it has all sort of come to one place where ABM is now a very digital, it, the, the capabilities within the technology that exists now are far greater than they were a decade ago or more. So um, it used to be very analog, and now it is, uh, you know, very digital. And the strategies remain the same. Mm-hmm. Um, the technology to deliver them has has changed. Interesting, Nicole. I'm thinking as as Lisa was talking, as you're speaking, I'm thinking the idea of ABM is focused on a market of one. Well, we were talking in recent years about manufacturing being able to make for me, make for a customer of one rather than mass production, rather than assembly line making thousands of something, where the ability of manufacturers today through digital transformation, through the new technologies, can actually have a custom pair of sneakers or one of these days maybe even a really, really custom car for one customer and then go back to that mass production. So it sounds like there's a parallel here of make for me, talk to me, create your marketing for me. Would, would you say that's a, a reasonable parallel? I think you're exactly right. I think all of technology is really driving down to the persona and just the one person. You can get pretty much anything that you need at any time delivered within you know two days um, to your doorstep. So it is very... Uh, You'll see it in in digital when you pull up a screen and it says, you know, these picks for you. You know, we mm-hmm. based on your buying behavior, we've given you, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I think that is um, that's definitely correct, and I think manufacturing is following exactly the same way. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. And let's go around the table one more seat to Paroma and Paroma, please introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you so much, Bonnie, and such a pleasure to be here this morning with all of you. Uh, my name is Paroma Sen. I'm a marketing director with SAP, leading our customer experience solutions marketing into the asset-intensive B2B industries, as we call it. Uh, my background, Bonnie, is um, you know 15 years of technology marketing across various different industries, um, starting with so- uh, semiconductors, moving on to software licensing, e-commerce, and now enterprise software. And I think that's where um, the whole idea of ABM is so critical because for these B2B companies, um, it's usually just a handful of customers that make up their top um, 70 to 80% of their revenue. And ABM's style of marketing, uh, very, very precise and focused on a customer's journey, um, becomes very critical. Thank you very much. I'm listening to the three of you. I think Lisa said she has 20, 25 years experience, and Nicole said something similar. And Paroma, I think you said 15, and I'm tallying up the math here. And we've got about (laughs) an aggregate of 60 or 70 years of experience among the three of you. And I don't usually say that on the show, but that's a lot of experience. Ladies, I'm so happy to have you on. This is the part of the show where I will tell my listeners, in case you're new to Game Changers Radio, I have asked my panelists in advance to send me a quote from a person, a movie, a song, a book, something that on the surface is inspirational or provocative or humorous that has nothing to to do with our topic, and then I'm asking them on air to relate the quote they selected to the topic. So we're going to start with Lisa Dennis, and Lisa has picked a wonderful quote from Deepak Chopra, MD. He's still very much with us, born October 22nd, 1946, just had another birthday, Indian-born American author and alternative medicine advocate, and he's prominent in the New Age movement books and videos, one of the best-known and wealthiest figures in alternative medicine. Look him up if you don't know anything else about him. 
you need to know. Here's the quote. The level of the problem isn't the level of the solution. And Lisa, I did, when, when you and I spoke uh, recently, when we met on the phone on our prep call, I mentioned that this reminds me of Einstein's quote, you can't solve problems with the same thinking that you use to create them. And this was actually one of Chopra's, Deepak Chopra's responses to that quote. So when I looked it up to validate Deepak Chopra, that was the essay he wrote referenced the Einstein quote. So I, I, I felt good about that. I remember quotes after a while. So Lisa, the level of the problem isn't the level of solution. Tell us how that relates to our topic today, please. Uh, so that particular quote resonates for me because I think about kind of what um, organizations are going through in terms of trying to adopt ABM. Um, they either try to get in quick in the last couple of years. Um, how can we show... Um, how can we show a return on investment really fast, right? Because we want to scale. That's the other word that goes through that. And actually, I think we need to think through a little bit about what does it really take and what are the core steps? And so the problem may be we need to drive more revenue in these very select groups of group of accounts. And what I see is people getting very complicated very quickly because that's the way they're kind of set up. And honestly, I think ABM is take a step back and what's the strategy, right? So um, I, I think that we get into very detailed, very um, complicated solutions because we're really right into the execution. We're really right into the tactics. And that gets right, you know, right down to the nitty gritty. And that's where it gets complex. Step back and look at what's the overall strategy. And I'm using the word strategy and kind of solution, I think, on par here so that we can then direct what our approach, what our efforts, what our activities, what our tactics are going to be, that, that it's really fine-tuned. So it looks like a big problem, but if you take that step back and think a little bit more strategically, you're going to be able to solidify and simplify the solution. That's how I think of it. Thank you very much. Wonderful choice of a quote, Lisa. Appreciate that. Nicole, we're going to go around to you, and you've got a wonderful quote, and, and you told me everybody thinks it's from Winston Churchill, but Nicole, as you've learned since we met a couple of days ago, I use Quote Investigator, and it turns out that this quote, as brilliant as it is, actually originated in 1938 when some very clever copywriters at Budweiser Beer put it into an ad, and then it was quoted, and we, we won't use that as the validation, but somebody named George F. Tilton, who lived from 1861 to 1932, was an American master mariner, whaler. He was a whale guy, storyteller and author who went on his first whaling trip by stowing himself away in a whaling ship at the age of 14. Anyway, it's also attributed to him. Let me read the quote, and then you'll tell us how it relates to our topic, Nicole. Here we go. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. So, Nicole, tell us how does this apply to our topic? We're talking modern account-based marketing strategy. We're talking digital selling. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, thank you for uh, the, the primer on something that I really <laughs> thought Winston Churchill. <laughs> I know everybody does. It's okay. <laughs> um, I have had this quote for decades, and I was laughing with my husband last night about how uh, it figures that I would pick it from a Budweiser uh, advertisement <laughs> or, or from a marketing person, uh, you know, back in the early 1900s. So um, there you go. That's <laughs> welcome to my life, right? So success is not final. Failure is not final. And the courage to continue, the, it's the courage that counts to continue. So I really think that uh, with everything, um, especially throughout my career, um, and now even more importantly with technology and that transformation that's happening uh, within the business world, you know, you cannot uh, rest on your laurels. You cannot say, you know, we're successful and we're done, or it, it just doesn't work. You always have to be striving for success, making sure you tweak, making sure that you're keeping up with the latest technology, making sure that you are on top of what you are doing because what's successful today is not successful tomorrow necessarily. And uh, you can't just do the same thing over and over again. It's, it's going to be different. And do not be afraid to fail. So this is my, uh, sometimes it's hard. Failure is not fatal. It's not fatal. Sometimes you wish you die when you failed, but um, <laughs> it's not. And you, you learn from those mistakes and you move forward. And then that will I just think it's the courage to continue that really 
people should really uh, um, look as as more of the the success factor there. So, um, being able to uh, to fail at something and then to tweak it and continue forward is um, is the true way to success. I think just to be able to do both at the same time because you're not always going to do it correctly, especially with technology and account account based marketing. So it's just not it's moving too quickly. And there's, uh, there are too many, the, the fundamentals are there, but there are too many new things that are coming up that makes it easier, better, and different. Thank you very much. Very well put. And you were very graceful in accepting my, my validation of the quote, Nicole. You, you impressed the heck out of me. So thank you very much. And I'm about to read the quote. Paroma sent us another really beautiful, the quotes are lovely, ladies. They're really, and I say lovely with great admiration. Uh, Paroma has picked a quote from Martin Luther, uh, who lived from 1483 to 1546, a German professor of theology, a composer, a priest, a monk, and a seminal figure in the Protestant Reformation. He was ordained to the priesthood in 1507. So we've got a huge span of, of people who said these things. Uh, so here we go. We have one from Deepak Chopra, very modern. We have one from George Tilton, a whaler, and he he died just, he was quoted as something he said before he died. And now we're going back into the 14-1500s. Here's a quote. Even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces I would still plant my apple tree. Paroma, I want to paint a picture. I, I've started uh, painting watercolors on canvas recently. I want to paint a picture of an apple tree for you. So tell me how you picked this quote and how does it relate to our topic today, please? Yeah, I love, love, love this quote. Um, to me, Bonnie, this quote talks about conviction and belief in one's journey. If that is strong enough, it can withstand all pressures around you, right? Uh, and can support you through life's crisis. In the last few decades, we've seen so much sadness and disaster happen in all parts of the world. Terrorism, natural disaster, unbelievable human cruelty. Makes one want to despair sometimes. But the learning inherent in this quote from Martin Luther is that of striving, even when the world is unaccepting of change and transformation. It is one of continuing to believe and continuing to deliver on one's purpose to the exclusion of external noise. We live in a world of chaos and entropy, but our internal worlds don't have to be that way. So by being more aware, we can stay focused on serving the universe in the unique way each of us can. ABM to me is that it's, it's about serving the customer and um, serving with, with conviction and purpose. And that's, that's to me the connect. Thank you very much. I, I love when these quotes bring us back to, I'm going to use this phrase, it'll sound a little corny, but back to our humanity, the idea of the world going to pieces, so much anxiety in the world, and the co concept of being literally grounded, Paroma. Uh, on my personal radio show last night, I interviewed a man who wrote a book called The Power of Agency, and agency is a psychology term for how we control our lives, and he told me that according to the World Health Organization, the United States is the most anxious country in the world right now with 40 million adults and, and people of all ages in the U.S. diagnosed with anxiety disorders. And this quote, Paroma, is so grounding, literally and figuratively. I love it. Yeah. So I think I'm going to crochet this on the side of a pillow, and I'll, when I get around to it, I'll send you a picture, okay? Thank you, Paroma. That was, that was lovely. <laughs> you learn a lot about people from the quotes they pick. Now we're going to get to know our panelists. We already know them very well, but just a little more up close and personal. Lisa Dennis, you're up first. Two questions for you, not too personal, just a little bit. Number one, where are you calling from? If you want to give us a very brief weather report, that's okay. And number two, it's almost New Year's 2020. We're about to wrap up this decade and go into a brand new one? Who knew that after Y2K and all the anxiety, talking about anxiety, that we would actually be all here, well, most of us here that we're talking to, looking at 2020, a brand new decade. So, Lisa, what's your favorite beverage or what do you have on ice for New Year's Eve? It's almost time. Talk to me. Okay, so I'm calling from Boston, uh, Massachusetts, where it is snowing like nobody's business. Oh, um, wow. I was out playing in the snow with my dog at 6.30 a.m. It's beautiful. Thank you that I didn't have to drive today. Um, <laughs> my go-to drink, and this would be New Year's, it would be birthday, it would be end of a tough week, is, are you ready? It yes. is a um, gray goose, dirty martini, extra dirty, with four blue cheese stuffed olives. <laughs> it is like it's like having a meal 
as well as having this really great ice cold kind of salty kind of um, drink. It's an absolutely favorite thing. Um, I got addicted to them, and I, I might as well be honest about it. Um, God, a number of years ago, I was doing a um, a, a three week uh, sales training program. I had a class of um, twenty eight people, and at the end of every Friday, it was really an intense three week program. And at the end of every Friday, I'd say, "Okay, people, let's finish up because I have an ice cold dirty martini waiting for me." <laughs> at the end of this day. And, Lisa, uh, on our last I was going to say, it yeah. sounds like a cocktail party in a glass when you were describing oh, it. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. They gave me a gallon bottle of Grey Goose and four martini glasses as a going away present. So I thought that was really charming. That is fantastic. Thank you for thank you for being so forthcoming about your favorite drink. You got me on the dirty, dirty martini, and then when you talked about the blue cheese stuffed olives, I said, "Give me a, a napkin to put, put over my my dress and a straw and a fork and a knife." That's, there you go. That's, we, we, and there's no competition set up here for Nicole and Paroma. We, we accept any kind of drinks here on the show. So, but that Lisa, that was you really top top the top on that one. That was the star on top of the tree, <laughs> if that's what you do. So let's go to Nicole O'Brien. Where are you today? And is it snowing there? And what's your favorite beverage for the holidays? Let's go with that. Um, hi, I'm from. Actually, I'm calling from Washington D.C., just outside Northern Virginia. Um, and it is not snowing, thank goodness. Um, it is chilly, probably cooler than I like it. Um, it's in the mid-40s, so we're okay. It's not snowing, thank goodness. <laughs> I just don't want snow yet. Yep. Um, I can't top, Lisa. I, Lisa, I'm just going to – you just you convinced me that now I need to go – that's like a meal. You're you right. It's like, it's like appetizers. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I love Grey Goose. You know, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a gallon of it in the, <laughs> in the bar. Uh, so I, you know, my favorite drink, uh, and what I will be drinking on, on, uh, New Year's is, um, champagne. Uh, I know that's really, really boring, but I love champagne. No. Um, I've toured, I've toured the champagne region in France. I, I've been to a lot of those vineyards and, um, whenever I drink champagne, different brands of it actually take me back to, um, the times that I had spent in France. So it's actually, um, you know, it's, it's a little deeper than the normal champagne. So I always get a lot of different types of champagne and we do a tasting and uh, everybody loves it. So that's my New Year's that's my New Year's drink. That's lovely. There's never anything boring about champagne, Nicole. The champagne just the idea of I the bubbly it all year and- long. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Thank you for that. Paroma, you don't have to top either of them. We just want to know where are you? Quick weather report and what are you planning <laughs> to drink for the holidays? Yeah, I'm um, I'm calling in from Palo Alto in California where it's been raining the past few days. I think uh, early um, 50s is where the temperature is. But I'm so glad I'm not in one of the snow zones. I'm a big wuss when it comes to temperature. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, My favorite beverage story. So this is not something I will be having over New Year, but uh, Mm -hmm. it is my favorite beverage story, Bonnie, as you asked. Um, It's Blue Moon Beer. Now, I've never been much of a beer drinker. Uh, I do drink alcohol, but I'm quite a lightweight. I enjoy the occasional mm-hmm. glass of wine. Uh, but I've grown up as a single child and an introvert, and I prefer always to read a book rather than in- engage in small talk. So when I got into marketing as a career, I realized I had to change some habits very quickly. Um, most of the social events I went to included alcohol. So I had to find a drink that I could nurse while I was engaged in ramping up my game on the small talk front, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after several trials and errors, I found Blue Moon, finally a beer that wasn't terribly bitter and I could actually sip on for an entire evening. So it made, almost made the entire experience of networking somewhat pleasurable. Yeah. Bonnie, that's my beverage story. <laughs> Very nice. And Paroma, I went to their website and I'm looking here at Explore Our Beers on Blue Moon brewingcompany.com. There's a U.S. site. They made me put in my birth date and say I was in the United States Ooh. before they let me into the site, Paroma, so nobody tell. Uh, but I'm looking here at Blue Moon Belgian White, Blue Moon Mango Wheat, and Blue Moon Honey Summer Honey Wheat, and it says our unique Blue Moon Belgian White Belgian-style wheat ale. Do you have a favorite flavor? No, I think it's just the regular wheat one. 
that I like. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, ladies. You've been very, very forthcoming. I didn't tell you this was true confessions with game changers. I'm only joking. Uh, I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. We have this beautiful temperature range going down sometimes to about 32 degrees at night and reaching up to 65 in the afternoon. I moved to what I thought was the reasonably deep south, and it's just as cold here as it is in New York, where I lived the past 35 years. So I'm finding that very interesting. I'm not allowed, ladies, to have anything with caffeine in it on radio show days. And today's a double header. I have another live show an hour after we're off the air. So you can imagine what I would be like if I was caffeinated. So all I'm drinking here is cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with my eco-friendly silicone light purple straw. You have to wash it with a little brush inside to make sure it stays wonderfully fresh and clean. And that's all I'm going to admit to here. And no holiday drinks are on ice yet. We're here in case you're just tuning in. This is Changing the Game with Digital Selling Radio. Big shout out to Kirsten Boylo and um, Mohammed Arif Johari at SAP. Kristen has been sponsoring this radio series with me for I think five years now. We're in we're in uh, season five, and AJ Arif, as we call him, AJ has been working with her for a long, long time setting up the shows. And AJ, spectacular job bringing us three really excellent panelists today. Our topic, and this is something I just tweeted: If you're in the midst of holiday busyness, don't forget to plan your 2020 business. I thought that was clever in a couple people retweeted it. Ladies, hint, hint, hint. We're talking about Digital Selling Plus, Accelerate Your Account-Based Marketing, fondly known as ABM. We have three experts on the panel, Lisa Dennis at Knowledgeance Associates, Nicole O'Brien, Marketing Expert, Consultant and Sales Enablement Society, and Paroma Sin at SAP. We're going to take a quick break, the pause that refreshes. Ladies, you can have a sip of anything you want. 90 seconds, I'm going to call you back on air. And when we come back, we will start the roundtable in earnest, even though we've been really going around the table. We'll start with a topic that Lisa Dennis has selected for our conversation. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, you know the drill. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Social media is taking sales and marketing organizations by storm, and only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Digital selling is a concept that has implications to all lines of business, from building the fundamentals in the sales and marketing process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and ultimately changing the way buyers and sellers engage in a digital world. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how digital selling is changing the world of business. Changing the Game with Digital Selling is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to changing the game with digital selling. Absolutely. Actually, my current email, if you want to contact me, is bonnie.d.gram at voiceamerica.com, not sap.com. So there, if you need me, you can find me. We're talking about Digital Selling Plus, Accelerate Your Account-Based Marketing, ABM, with Lisa Dennis at Knowledgeance Associates, Nicole O'Brien, Marketing Specialist and Sales Enablement Society, and Paroma Sen at SAP. We're going to start off the roundtable formally with a statement Lisa Dennis sent me before the show. Lisa will talk a few minutes about it, then we'll invite Nicole in for her POV, point of view, and Paroma. Then I'll pick a topic from Nicole's list. We'll round the table and one from Paroma, and then we'll finish off the show and the last six minutes with their predictions for what's coming up on this topic in the next couple of years. So Lisa told me the following before the show. She said, a top challenge for many companies adopting an ABM strategy is marketing and sales collaboration. I'm just going to say, hmm, sigh, no surprise. Lisa, please tell us more. Well, the thing that I think is is most important here is that to really do ABM well, you really have to be in each other's pocket to a certain extent. And um, over the past year, I've probably worked on a little over 50 accounts, whether that's in a one-to-one account approach or one-to-few account approach with ABMers. And across the board, 
um, the, the feedback is that how are we going to work with them? How do we do a better job? How do we get them to collaborate with us as, as marketers? And to get to the full benefit of ABM, you really have to have a jointly developed, jointly executed strategy. It's one thing to, you know, say, okay, here's what we're going to do from a marketing side, but how is sales going to activate it? And I think that that's a huge, huge challenge. It's, it goes above and beyond the standard kind of marketing and sales alignment issues, which are old as the hill. This is mm-hmm. really about how do we collaborate together in service of the buyer in the accounts that we're selecting. And it can make the difference between success and failure of ABM efforts. And though technology helps to enable it, there's still a lot that goes on around actually orchestrating so that the digital strategy can be executed um, that requires a lot more collaboration than we typically see in other types of marketing approaches. Thank you. I'm going to get Nicole into this, but quick question for you, Lisa. Why is it so hard? Why can't they talk to each other? Why is this an ongoing battle, struggle, challenge? Why? Why is it still a top challenge? What Don't they like each other? It, it, it's because their their orientations is quite different. A lot of the ABM stuff in one to one or one to few are aiming at big, large enterprise type accounts or or very large um, uh, mid market accounts where there's a lot to be won. And as an account manager, and I've been on the sales side as well, is you know what I own this account and I'm the one who's going to decide what the strategy is and I'm mm. the one who's going to drive it. And can you just send me some stuff? And that may sound antiquated. But I uh-huh. talk to account teams every day, and that's some of the challenges that the ABM marketers have to hurdle. And also having ABM marketers understand what does it mean to be an account leader? What, is, what, what does their world look like? There's a lot of disconnect around not really fully understanding the value that each other brings to an ABM collaboration. Thank you very much. Nicole O'Brien, love to get your POV. Agree or disagree or just add on? Go ahead, Nicole. I completely agree with Lisa. It is that is the key to successful account-based marketing today is really to have an alignment between marketing and sales, and um, that has to be lockstep. I mean, and and traditionally, um, these two groups of people dislike each other immensely. There's Mm. tons of historical reasons for that. (laughs) But generally, they do not get along. It's mostly, you know, uh, marketers are, are traditionally looking out for brand, and they're giving you messages. They're giving sales messages, and they're creating, you know, the the uh, the companies, the corporate, you know, idea, the corp, the corporate um, brand itself, making sure that those messages are aligned, and sales does not get that at all because they're worried about their clients and their bottom line. So um, you really have to not push as a marketer, just push stuff down the pipeline and say, here, use this, use that. Um, sales really needs today to be in the, you know, right there in the room when you're creating uh, materials, messages, all of that. There's no way that you're going to make um, any of the numbers unless you have, unless you find out what the, what the client is looking for, what the conversations look like, um, you know, what that buyer's journey looks like. And it really does get down to sales has to agree the entire way because they're the ones that have the frontline expertise. So um, everybody's got to get on the same page. And and that has a lot to do with saying, look, we can't do this without you um, and we'll give you what you need. And when we start, when marketing starts to give sales exactly what they need to move the needle then that relationship immediately improves. Thank you. Paroma Sen, love to have you join us. What are your thoughts? Bonnie, I agree entirely with Lisa's statement there. Um, I see marketing and sales almost as the yin and yang of a customer's journey with an organization, but yet they come from such very different approaches um, and objectives too. Uh, I mean, marketing is usually driven by by impact at scale and amplification of a message. And that's the purpose that makes them wake up every morning and go to work. Whereas sales is driven more by the short-term sale, that big win, that in- incentives that, come, that comes with winning a deal. So very, very different approaches. Um, but I think ABM is a huge opportunity for increased collaboration because ultimately they're both um, trying to get the win and, and trying to build a journey with a customer that that's long term and that's that's um, 
that helps the customer. So, yeah, I think that that opportunity for a collaboration in a structured way comes through ABM and um, and both sales and marketing can contribute to it and, and get something much larger for the organization out of that collaboration. Thank you very much, ladies. Great insights and, and savvy and savvy, relevant comments on the topic. I think we've established that. You all agree on that one. Nicole, I'm going to move on. You mentioned, Nicole, in comments a few minutes ago, the word personas, and I don't know if that's extremely well understood. So let me read your second statement you sent me before the show, and let's see if you can elaborate, and then we'll get Paroma and Lisa to chime in. So you say, to be successful, okay, we know that marketing and sales should be tightly aligned in the creation of client personas. These personas and the buyer's journey are critical to every function of the ABM strategy. So could you focus on the personas, please, Nicole, and then we'll see what the other ladies have to say. Sure. Um, I'd be happy to. So uh, the personas really play a key role, and and I'll tell you what they are, just in case people are not quite clear Mm -hmm. about what they are. Um, In order to be successful, you really need to know who you're speaking, who you're speaking to, who you're selling to, and um, what your audience uh, looks like what that account looks like, and within within uh, and a within a company that maybe you're targeting, you need different um, personas. So, if you're looking for a corporate account, you're looking at who in that organization um, are person decision maker, and then what is their point of view, and how do I market to them and give them materials and give them messages to, that they find valuable. And, and helpful, and how does that move them through, you know, the journey to make that decision to buy? And it's it's very very uh, it's critical to make sure that you get this right. And there's a lot of targeting now that you can do through digital, and it can be very confusing. And you need to really make sure that you speak to, and work with, um, and collaborate with uh, sales and the account team to identify exactly who it is that you want to you want to speak to and what it is that their you know mo is within that within their role and you need to speak to that role in that person and those personas drill down to um, basically which what type of content are you going to deliver to them um, over a course of you know a year six months a quarter depending on what your measurement um, level is. So it, it's very, very important to identify exactly who it is that you're that you're marketing to, and who the decision makers are, and what their point of view is. And you get most of that, a lot of that, from um, research, and also through working with the sales executives. Thank you, Lisa uh, Nicole. I have a quick question for you before I bring in Paroma and Lisa. Uh, question is sure. developing these personas. Is this the job of one particular person on either the sales team, the marketing team? Do you have somebody dedicated to researching the footprint of these people, these target account people? Uh, where are they in social media and what sports teams do they like and how much have they tweeted about or Facebooked or Instagrammed about your company, about other companies? What are they saying? Who, who puts together these personas? I'm curious. It's actually... Uh where I live, it's a team of people who do mm-hmm. that. Sometimes it's, you know, one or two people, depending on the size of the company. But um, it's marketing working in tandem with sales, with the sales leaders, with the people who are on the front lines with the customers. Um, it could be every, anybody that's client-facing that might have some um, some idea or, or general knowledge of where the customer is, if they speak to them every day, um, it's really a group. It's a group effort um, that really depends on your organization, on how large your company is, and um, you know who's on the front lines. Thank you very much, Paroma. Said, love to get your thoughts on this. Anything or everything that Nicole just shared with us. Go ahead, Paroma. Bonnie, you know, while Nicole was speaking, I was thinking actually of how. Um, uh, a, co- a company selects accounts for doing an ABM, which has an influence on the personas that people mm-hmm. are speaking about. Um, I think a company selects accounts for ABM in one of two situations, right? Either it's a large customer where you already have a footprint and you want to expand, 
or it's a strategic customer which is making so much difference to a market that you have to be there because they're going to change the shape of the industry for the next 100 years, right? So uh, in both situations, there's a lot of upselling and cross-selling opportunity and perhaps limited contact currently existing from a sales point of view and therefore that account needs to be excavated and you know, content needs to be sent to the right personas so that they come back and um, approach us and say that, hey, we're interested in this and can we learn more? So marketing, that's where marketing can help sales is in excavating those personas and figuring out those contacts and enticing them even with the right kinds of content uh, to guide them through that ABM process. Thank you. Very interesting. Uh, Lisa Dennis, please join us. What do you think? Um, I, I think everything they said makes sense. I want to go a little bit deeper on the persona because I think there is a disconnect around um, what a persona is versus what a profile is. Okay. Uh, a lot of times I'll see with clients and they'll say, you know, so what do you, you know, what do your personas look like? And what I will get is basically either just a listing of titles. And I've literally seen large enterprise companies saying, here are our personas and they're just a list of titles or a profile, which is giving the basics. Here's their education. Here's how many kids they have. Here's their role. Here's who they report to. A really good research-based buyer persona focuses on behavior. It focuses on why do they behave the way they do. So things like what are their priority initiatives? What are the success factors that this persona is looking for? What are the perceived barriers to getting to where they want to go and and making a decision? What are their decision criteria? What does their particular buyer's journey look like? And where do you get that kind of information? Actually talking to live customers, interview-based, um, to really focus on what happens. And what's great about a really meaty persona like that, set of personas like that is you can pull language that comes right out of the mouth of your targeted buyers. And that mm. can impact messaging, how we position our offerings, um, it can help inform discovery questions that, that, that you can use with your selling efforts, digital and face-to-face. It can inform your overall value prop and messaging. So I think there's got to be a real distinction between what a persona is and what it's not. And what it's not is kind of a basic, you know, um, kind of profile or this is, you know, Susie CIO and, you know, here's what she likes to do in her free time. That doesn't really move the needle, per se. What moves the needle is understanding how they think, what motivates them to buy, what motivates them not to buy, and how do they decide. And what's that process and that understanding of barriers. Thank you. Great conversation, ladies. Really appreciate all of the insights, and thank you for a clarification along the way of different points. I'm going to move on. We have time for one more topic. And, Paroma, you have a very provocative statement here. We can't finish the show without this one. It's your number two roundtable statement. You say digital selling is a misnomer. Paroma says she would call it digital customer engagement. Selling sets the wrong expectation. You're not going to make a sale with every tweet or every like or every share. I want to finish reading this. I want you to explain it. Please, Paroma, go ahead and then we'll have time for Lisa and Nicole to chime in. Go ahead, Paroma. Of course, Bonnie. Yes, uh, I do think digital selling is a bit of a misnomer. Um, Digital channels, which mainly today is social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, and all of those, um, it's it's an engagement channel with a customer. Just like any, uh, any other relationship, it needs nurturing, just like plants need watering in order to flower. Over time, when you've engaged with the customer on digital and, and given value and given them content and, you know, engaged with them on their life changes, uh, job changes, uh, assisted them with different things, then maybe perhaps in the future uh, a sale will result. Uh, but that's, that's the result of that relationship and of that nurturing, not just, uh, <laughs> you know, clicking or tweeting or sharing something. Um, it's it's a journey, Bonnie. It, it just it's not it's not that you know, one tweet or one like or one share will convert to a sale. That's not the way these large deals work, right? Thank you very much. Interesting. Let's go around the table. We have Lisa Dennis sitting next to Paroma. So, Lisa, why don't you chime in? Agree or disagree? This is a good one. Totally agree. I'm just so thrilled that you said that. Um, I, I agree. It is about engagement. It's interesting. I'm seeing more and more. Um, organizations even moving off of account-based marketing to call it account-based engagement. Um, and, and, and engagement is what was, was really where it's at. 
right? And engagement requires an investment of time. So that nurture, you know, isn't something that's going to bring in a deal in a, in a, in a, in a month or necessarily in the first quarter. Um, it really is um, a process over time. And so what I think is important is that digital engagement and account-based engagement does require uh, some patience, right? Because to build a relationship um, does take investment, does take nurturing, does take time. Um, quite honestly, um, I'm not in a relationship if I go out with somebody once, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or they call me back once, right? It, it really is bigger than that. And so I couldn't agree more. I, I do think we need to think more about with the, with the drive to scale and the drive to, you know, land revenue now, we have to think about the fact that it is over lifetime value. It is, uh, it is over time to, to do that engagement piece. Really, really important. Thank you very much. I knew this was provocative. Paroma, anything you want to add to this? We're just about ready for our prediction, and I know Nicole will draw, dial back in. Paroma, anything you want to say back to Elisa for her comments? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think we, are, we agree and we are on the same page. Uh, it's just that digital has taken over our lives so much as a channel of choice. Um, what, what are the statistics? Something like 73% of people... B2B buyers spend most of their time online researching before buying. Uh, that's right. huge. They're spending so much time online. So that, I guess that's why this entire discussion is happening is how do we do this digitally and how do we, um, you know, selling versus engagement. So thank you, Lisa. Totally agree with thank you. Thank you. Nicole, do we have I you back? One more point. Go ahead, Lisa. Yes, sure. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Lisa, finish, <laughs> and then we'll get Nicole's comments on it. Go ahead, Lisa. Sure. One more point. Um, we did some research at ITSMA around how executives engage. And what we actually found was kind of interesting. Um, buyers spend um, about 47% offline and 53% online. So, so the behavior, there's this impression that everything is digital. And, and the reality is, is that um, in terms of engagement, it is actually pretty even still. Um, and I think we sometimes forget that. Um, think about digital engagement as a path to, 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 to face-to-face or, or live engagement in terms of purchasing. And, and, and you've got to be able to look at multiple channels. If you skew totally to digital, you're going to be missing the boat. I just, I just want to make that kind of extra point. Thank you very much. Nicole, you're back. Just briefly, why don't you comment? If, I think you heard what uh, Paroma had said. you want to add something to that, please? Um, sure. I just wanted to uh, – I agree with Lisa what she just said, too, and I agree with the group um, – Engagement really is key, and it can't be just likes and shares and things like that. It's actual engagement. It's downloading of content. It's um, it's really, and it's more than digital, as Lisa said too. It is it is on and offline. So the the marketing needs to occur on both sides. Um, there's nothing that's going to take the place of a of the personal touch um, when it comes to. Uh, marketing to these clients, um, and it, it really is about about making sure that you're giving them what they need and that they what they find valuable, and that is how you get engagement. Thank you very much. And Paroma, if you check on Twitter after the show, you'll see that I have this beautiful picture from, um, I can't remember the name of the artist, but it's Marcus, and he is a, um, a photography contributor to Unsplash, where I get most of my pictures for Twitter, and he has a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of little plants growing. It's a classic uh, photograph, oh. and, and I put that together with uh, posting the comment that you just made. Ladies, we're into our deep into our crystal ball predictions round here, so we're going to circle back to Lisa. Nicole, we're so glad you were able to join back. We heard you go ding, and you were gone. So, Lisa, I can give you 60 seconds. I know you have a lot to say, each of you, but 60 seconds each because we've got almost, almost time for closing the show. Lisa Dennis, what do you see will change about this topic? We're talking about digital selling plus. We're talking about accelerating account-based marketing. Marketing, uh, customer engagement, nurturing relationships, client personas, so much great information on the table here. Lisa, what will change about any or all of this, in your opinion, between now and, let's say, 2025? And you could go as short-term as January 1st, 2020, if you want, if something's about to happen in the next, I don't know, 21 days or 22 days. So, Lisa, prediction, 60 seconds, go! 
Uh, I think that more and more organizations are going to start to use more predictive um, and propensity to buy analytics. It's hot now, but what we have found is that a very small portion of companies are actually executing it. So I see that as something that can be a driver from a digital perspective, uh, more so in the next, I'd say, two to three years. I believe everything that comes around goes around, so something else will be hot then as well. But I think that, that people are going to really try to get into that uh, much more deeply than currently is being done. Thank you very much. Nicole O'Brien, you're up. 60 seconds. Predict, please. Uh, I predict in the next, I think you really can't predict uh, too far out, maybe two to three years at the very most. Um, but I predict that there's going to be um, a much greater use of of data mining, as, as Lisa mentioned, and AI. So there'll be a lot of mm. people will be using artificial intelligence to drill down and get very, very granular about um, buyer behavior and um, and targeting and personas. And I think it's just going to get really, really granular. Thank you very much. Good prediction. And Paroma, well, because Nicole was so concise, I can give you 90 seconds. Go ahead, Paroma. Use them well. <laughs> I'm very generous today. Thank you. <laughs> so generous. Um, Bonnie, ABM is inherently about the customer. Uh, what I see happening is that we, we will see ABM becoming even more focused on specific people and their journeys, becoming even more fine-tuned than it already is. Because of identity management, we will more closely be able to track where those individuals are spending time, both online and offline. And we will use this information to deliver messaging that is extremely precise to who they are and what they're trying to accomplish. Digital selling and ABM will evolve away from selling to supporting customers with the right information at the right time, evolving that relationship between buyer and vendor to that of a true consultative partnership, Bonnie. That's my prediction. Thank you very much. And I predict, well, I already know the answer. This series, Digital Selling, Changing the Game with Digital Selling, has renewed for 2020, and I'm thrilled. So I'm going to predict that I'll be speaking with the three of you again next year and having another really great conversation. I have a shout-out again to Kirsten Boyleau, our sponsor of this series. Thank you, Kirsten. And AJ Arif, thank you so much for getting such wonderful panelists lined up for today's show. And I want to thank Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You ready? Fasten your seatbelt. Put some holiday decorations on it. I don't know, blue and silver, red and green, whatever you're celebrating. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Lisa Dennis at Knowledge and Associates, just like Nicole O'Brien at what she does in marketing and the Sales Enablement Society, and just like Paroma said at SAP. Have a great day. I'll be back in one hour with a live episode of Changing the Game in Revenue Growth. You don't want to miss it. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Digital Selling, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.